Stories bring lessons, laughter, unforgettable experiences, and memories that far outlive the storytellers themselves. Great stories happen to those who can tell them. This is the Jack and Around podcast, hosted by two-time Academy of Country Music Award winner and master storyteller Jack Ingram. And now to introduce today's guest, here is podcast producer Matt Fivato. Thank you, Mr. Rowdy Yates. On this episode, Jack welcomes music industry veteran Drew Brown. Drew's career spans over four decades and includes not only tour managing Jack from 2005 through 2012, but also out on the road with Miranda Lambert to most recently as Jason Aldean's production manager from 2015 through 2020. Part one opens with Drew visiting with Jack about opening the Blue Light in Lubbock, Texas in the early 2000s to sharing war stories of being on the road with Jack and his band. Part two premieres April the 7th and picks up where part one left off. Drew visiting with Jack about being on stage during the Aldean concert during the tragic mass shooting in Las Vegas. Before we begin, some quick housekeeping notes provided below in the description is a wealth of information including Jack and Drew's bios, links to watch on YouTube, connect on social media, and a link to the website located at jackandaroundpodcast.com. If you enjoy this podcast, I can't stress to you how important it is to help us spread the word. So please like, subscribe, share on social media, and give us a big old five-star review. Here's episode five, part one. Enjoy. Jacking off with Jack Ingram, sponsored by Broken Toe Productions. <laughs> I mean, what? Jacking off with Jack Jacking Ingram. Jacking off with Jack Ingram. Broken Toe Productions. Toe, oh. what do we do here? You rolling, man? Oh, we're rolling. Oh, shit. It's really called Jacking Around, but Sorry. With, with Drew here, we can call it jacking off if you'd like. No, 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 no. I've had enough of years of that. Thank Welcome you. to Jacking Around. This is my buddy, Drew Brown, tour manager, production manager extraordinaire. And uh, we, 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 we know you, he knows where all the bodies are buried. And he killed some of them. Yep. We were on the road for how long? I think you and I did almost six years, if not a full six years. Where we meet? Um, first time was I booked you at the Blue Light. That's right. I would say I started that venue in 99, and you would have probably come up 2000, 2001. Is that the first time I ever played there? Yep. Because I used to play the uh, Let's get this the box, the Wild West, or whatever it was called. No, back then it would have been, yes, the same people own it, but it was a midnight rodeo. Oh, wow. And so then that later became the Wild West when they had moved, but it was the one... Oh yeah, the, it, the one, it was the one on the highway. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't the one that you had done later on. That was down by the blue light. It was across town. That's what. Yeah, you that's right. That's right. So, but um, yeah, so that would have. I would. I'm going to guess around 2000, 2001. I'm trying to think of people in your band. I think Jens would have been there. So yep. the tall German. I don't think Jordan was there with you. Because I, I would have remembered him. That would have been Romy. Probably. Jeremy Elliott. So let, let's let's go through that pedigree. Because I was thinking about that today with Wes. So Elliott, then Joel, then me, then Kevin. Oh, yep. Scratch that. Elliott, then Joel, then Jordan, then me. That's right. Then Kevin. That's right. So before that would have been Tommy. Well, Tommy was an interim guy right. when Electric came out. So who was before that? 
So it would have been Joel at the blue light. Yeah, probably might have been Joel. Nah, anyway, it doesn't matter. I don't remember the tour manager. I just remember you being an asshole. So. I was. Well, come on, buddy. You had the edge. <laughs> You've never lost it. You know that, you know, a little swagger. <laughs> well, probably because you only gave us towels and a six-pack of buddy. Come on, buddy. You're, you're playing in Texas, you know, the Texas <laughs> rider. Here, it's, uh, what, what it's would a, we always say? Case of case. Of, it's the case of case of rider. Case of water, case of beer. There you go. <laughs> the one toe never read. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Never. It, it Toe like, wrote it. Toe, Toe wouldn't mark it out with a pen. He would just, with his cigarette burned out because he just burning nine cigarettes at once going. Oh. That's hilarious. Broken. So when did you, so I'm trying to remember when you started tour managing me. All right. So, I mean, if you want to go to pedigree, so let's just start, let's start in Lubbock because that's pretty much kind of how I started. Yeah. So, um, 96, I started working at the original Stubbs in Lubbock as a dishwasher. And so, and it's sadly, sad to say this, but I wanted to work at an airport for some reason, but they drug tested. And at the time, I probably couldn't have peed clean at that time. Right. So. At that time. At that time. And. Uh, so I got was hired as a dishwasher. That lasted about a week. And they're like, hey, this kid knows something. Here, start being a cook. So I started slicing barbecue and doing that. And then that, within probably three weeks, turned into, here, run the kitchen, start running tables, doing this. And then that turned in a month later of bartending. And that turned into just running the whole ship. Wow. So I did that for probably... That would have, let's just say 97, because I think that's when I started. That would have been about two years. Mm -hmm. And then we had a big New Year's Eve celebration. And next day, I walked, no, no, it was that night. After we locked up and cleaned, the guy who owned that place was a guy named Harold Akins and a guy named Tom Frazier and a lady named Susan. Mm -hmm. And Susan was one of these, just, you'd have loved her, just brash lady. Like she'd be sitting there eating a bowl of coleslaw, smoking a cigarette at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we got cleaned up that night after New Year's Eve, locked the door, and we were always having our ceremonial drink. Mm -hmm. And Tom said, that's it. We're locking the door. We're done. Really? We wanted one more night just to make enough money to pay the comptroller taxes or whatever for the year, but we're done. I was like, were you selling it? It's like, no, we're done. We just can't afford to do this anymore. I'm like, shit. So at that time, there was Tom's Daiquiri was a little bitty place on Buddy Holly Avenue, and Tom would come over and have lunch with us, and he kind of, he's telling us that they're going to, he's starting a new venue. Uh -huh. He doesn't know what it's done. So... um. I got so drunk that night at Stubbs at that New Year's after that that I passed out and I slept in a um, one of the booths there. Right. And Harold, the old man, and he's also a mentor. Um, he passed out another one, and then Tom and Susan lived upstairs at Stubbs. And so that next morning, I get up and we're just cooking around and cleaning stuff up and kind of just moping, licking our wounds. And Tom comes, McDonald comes knocking on the door, and saying, hey, you know, I hear you are going to sell this place. You want to sell some of your equipment? And I was like, well, let's go see what you got running over here. And he was in mid-construction of this place. And he was wanting to open up this new little bar called the Blue Light that had this little light up top. That's why they called it the Blue Light. 
And he goes, I'm going to, you know, top 40 country dance and things, you know, so he could come down and, you know, polish buckles. So I started working for him doing that. And I said, you know what? There's a lot of this music that I found out through Stubbs and there's some great acts and, you know, bands like at the time, there's a band called Coup de Gras who later became Cooter Graw. Right. Matt Martindale, obviously. These guys from Amarillo. Mm-hmm. And there was this, you know, one of the cats that his very first gig ever, 21st birthday, this little frat boy from the Sigma Chi named Wade Bowen. And I was the bartender that night at his 21st. I remember he got so drunk. Imagine that. Wow. The microphone was teetering and he was teetering and I ended up putting a five gallon bucket right in front of the stage because I knew, I, you know, when you got that look, it's like, oh, this kid's about to puke. <laughs> I don't know if he did or not. And they were terrible. And, you know, West 84. Yeah. And they weren't even Wade Bowen. Yeah, it was just West, just West 84. So it, but they packed the house, obviously. So, um, we started the blue light, opened the doors and that was the first, let's say month or so. That's what he was doing was all DJ music. And then he wanted to have this one band a month. Yeah. And they were terrible. So we made it through the first month. It's like, man, let me get, let me have a shot at this and start pulling some of these other bands in. So I did. And it went like gangbusters and then fast forward and the progression of that. And that's honestly how I met Mr. Pivato over here. Cause it was, would have been about 2000 because I think, isn't that right? Toe? Yeah. So we opened the doors and of the blue light, April 1st of 1999, because I remember just April Fool's. Nope, that's a lie. St. Patrick's Day oh, of wow. 1999, because I remember we had green beers the first night. So let's say, progress that year, there were bands like Cross Canadian Ragweed that, you know, was like one of the very first venues in Texas that those guys were playing. Yeah. And I had a friend, our friend, Arcadio Rivera up at the Golden Light. And he and I palled up and we started collaborating on bands. And he goes, well, I got these little cats from Oklahoma. I said, well, I got these little cats from here. And we started trading off and running that little route up there. And, you know, then that progressed into the Jason Bolins, the Stonies, and like that was kind of that little inlet from Texas, from Oklahoma. But then I was filtering up bands like Reckless Kelly's from Austin and, you know, the Jack Ingrams of the world and, mm-hmm. you know, whatnots. And yeah, that's kind of how the blue light got done. So that blew up. We were doing in the bar business, we were doing four nights, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, packed. Really? Packed. And in live music every, every night of that. And we would close the doors on Sundays and Mondays. Was Pat playing there? PG, uh, Pat, you know, he was, you know, this was way before the wave on wavy kind of days, but he was, you know, he was smashing it. He wasn't selling out the Astrodome nine times in a row kind of Pat, but right. he was making it. Like, and the other one that was behind him a little bit was Corey Morrow. Yeah. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say Corey might have went to tech. Corey I, went to tech. Cause I, so did Pat. Yeah, I know Pat did, obviously, but I think Corey did. Right. Well, and you went, so you went over to the blue light. Yeah. Started booking bands there for a couple of years. Oh, yeah, 99. And then we opened a one, uh, Blue Light in Amarillo. Yeah. And then I moved to Fort Worth because my best friend and college roommate, um, a guy named Rex, uh, had bought a, a club and called The Horseman. And so at that one time, I was booking all three of those rooms and then doing 
not only booking the one in Fort Worth, but also doing production there as well. And how I got into the audio side of things and the production side of things was back in the Blue Light Lubbock days. Um, I gave the sound guy 125 bucks a night in a bar tab and the guy would just get fucking hammered, you know, <laughs> bottle of Jack Daniels and things. And, he was, and I, I got tired of putting up with him. Yeah. So I, I got pissed off. And as you know, I'm fairly calm, but if I get hostility, I'll send it back big time. Oh yeah. And I did that night and let it, told him to fuck off. And <laughs> we can talk about that later. I'll figure this out. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I'll figure this out. So I started, you know, making the things and would get in there and okay, this is how this works. And I got decent at it. And Tom McDonald, the owner of the blue light said, man, you're getting pretty good at this. And I was still going to Texas tech at the time. And he goes, if, if you can keep your, keep your grades up at tech, you know, run my entire operation, book all the bands, run, you know, bartend, manage the club. I'll send you out to South Plains to audio school. He said, to know what you're doing. So I'm like, cool. So I did. So I was going three days a week, if not four days a week out there, like in between. Did you finish a, a, a thing out there? I did the audio uh, sound reinforcement class out there. You did? Mm -hmm. That's where, and it was more of a, um, and this is, you know, analog, of course, digital didn't exist. Um, and it was more kind of the knowledge of what are, what am I physically doing when I'm doing this? Right. You know, because I, well, by the funny that, part is that you learning the way you did before you went correct. out to that school, you know, Seamus, Sean Baker. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. We used to talk about that. He's like, man, mm. these guys come out of this school and they, they know how to do arena shows and how to do million dollar sound systems but they don't know jack shit about Nothing. about you can give them a couple tin cans and a, and a sports bar and see what they can do yep so that's that's probably why you always had your edge one thousand percent like you know full like the full cells and those things they're, they're fantastic and they're great a great education but it's not an education it's not like the school of hard knocks you know, the, the, that old term but um as our friend gary ozer says it's the uh, rock and roll university just yeah. figure it out and we kind of had to, you know. Yeah, like what do you do when your mm -hmm. band's supposed to go on? You got a packed yeah. house and the and the PA bus. Mm -hmm. How you make how you make noise? Yeah. Figuring that shit out. And you know, and that I think that mentality. And this is sadly, it's kind of a dying, it's a dying generation in that roadie style of things. And this is this is why, in my opinion, um, like we were talking about Hag earlier, and. Uh, his old tour manager, Frank, I was asking him one time, I was like, how did y'all do it back in the day? You know, the old Johnny Cash years and all that stuff, you know, no way before, obviously any cell phones, any mobile, any, anything. And he said, we just did it. He said, there would always be a, uh, a bucket of quarters and we would stop for fuel. He'd run inside and just start pumping quarters in a payphone. Well, we're, you know, we're probably hundred miles out, but you know, everything ready to go, but you didn't advance any PA. You showed up and you figured that shit out. Yeah. And like, you didn't hit a dry cleaner cause you're only town for a day. And it's like the same suit that they've been playing in for three weeks, just stagnant. And I mean, could you, I've been on a bus with you long enough. The smells were bad enough. Remember that? Oh, would yeah. you, what, what'd you, your coin, what was it? Feet and butthole. That's you. <laughs> Why does every tour bus smell like feet and butthole? <laughs> <laughs> so anywho. You just figured it out. Yeah. And, but it was like that for a long time. It didn't yeah. certainly change in, in our world until cell phones became real prevalent. Agreed. We used to, I remember driving and we'd sit on the side of the road oh, yeah. at a gas station and I'd be on the payphone mm -hmm. when I was advancing my own shows. Mm -hmm. 
way back when. Yeah. And it's and, like, I had a list of people I needed to call and band get all pissed off and Pete would go walking off somewhere to pawn shop and, I have to get everybody back in the van and start going. And the pile, like the dash was always filled up with rolled up old Rand McNally maps of yeah. everything where you go and just piles of them, you know? <laughs> so, you know, anyway, we'll get back on track a little bit because you know, you, you and I both can lose track pretty quick. So um, we'll go back to the time frame. I'm at this time, I'm in Fort Worth. And um, one of the bands that I had booked, um, was a little Americana Southern rock band called the Lost Trailers. And that's right. Fantastic. They're great guys. Well, they had just signed a deal with Universal Records and they were, you know, headed to stardom. Oh, they were with uh, the Republic. Yep. Out of New York. Mm, yep. They were trying to do a country thing out of New York. Well, no, 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 no. Way, this is way before their country career, if you want to call that a career. This was, they were a, a really badass and, like Americana Southern rock band. Right. There's an album called Welcome to the Woods. Mm -hmm. And this is, ironically that we're talking about this. What was that front man's name? Stokes. Nelson. Stokes. Honestly, Nelson. this is crazy. He literally called me a month ago and said, there's a filmmaker out in California doing a documentary film on the making of Welcome to the Woods and that album. And the premise behind this is the Texas years. And I was the first venue that had ever booked them in America. Now, no, it was me and a guy from New York that had played. But mm -hmm. how they got their start was they were going to Vanderbilt and Stokes was running around and ran into Mickey Raphael, as you know, the um, harmonica player for Willie, mm -hmm. and recognized him and gave a little demo of like, hey, these are my buddies and we got this. Well, I don't know if they reached back out or how it happened, but... Um, Mickey had just said, well, why don't you come down and play the picnic? Oh, that's cool. And so that was technically their first booked gig. Well, you know, I don't think it paid anything, and they were probably playing at 9 o'clock before the doors even opened, but um, they needed another kind of piggyback thing. Right. Well, Stokes had gone to an agent in there in Nashville, friend of his, and said, well, I need some venues in Texas to play, and I don't know any, any of these things. Who do I call? And the first number he got was here. There's this guy named Drew Brown. He's got this place out in Lubbock. No kidding. And he called me, sent me a little demo thing. So that's how you got out on the road? And I booked him. Well, yeah. And that, but you know, it was five years later. And so I jumped in a van with him and did a whole year. And then, as you know, how um, tour support works on those record deals, record label dropped them, cut all the funding, and, you know, I went on. So I came back and, um, went on the road with a uh, guy named Wade. So I started working for Wade Bowen. And then um, I f my friend Jordan Powell, who we talked about being your tour manager, was still on the road with you. Yeah. And I think I filled in for like a merchandise guy one weekend. Right. And then I think another time I filled in for your sound guy. What was the guy that had the little short stubby guy from Houston, the punk rock guy? He's going to choke like this. <laughs> yeah, he was the audio dude and forehead. He's like, hey, man, what's going on? Like, he would have never, like, mixing Jack Ingram in front of the house. Is but he he's the one with the fake punk. leg? Yes. And I never even knew it until yeah. one day I saw yep. I saw his leg laying around the van. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, he'd got hey, whose leg is this? He, he got, oh, I can't remember. It's a great guy. Great guy. <laughs> well, he had gotten sick. So I went out and Jordan's like, well, you do sound, don't you? I was like, yeah, man. Yeah. So I filled in for that. And you're like that 
He's like, hey, man, where are you living? I was like, Fort Worth. And he's like, well, you, you called me. He's like, hey, man, let me get your number. And so you called me and he's like, why don't you come over and have lunch with me? And we went to Dallas at Herrera's. Herrera's. And dude, dude that place is fucking close. I know. Anyway. I used to go there for lunch. Oh, dude, that, that was, was that just was my staple. business lunch. <laughs> oh, yeah, bless. And I can remember what you ate. You always like that pile of like taco meat things. Taco meat. And, and, and the beans. And then there was, no, it wasn't the rice. Was it eggs or something? Eggs. eggs. Yeah, scrambled eggs. Yeah. Scrambled I'll never eggs forget cheese. that. It's wild that I remember what you taco ate the meat. first time. <laughs> and refried beans. It's probably because you ate that every single time you went there. <laughs> so anyway, you and I had lunch. And you're like, so, so you know how to run sound? And you know, you do this tour things? I'm like, yeah. It was was that that was about the same time Miranda started doing well, and they were stealing. So him. no, so yeah, so let's slow down a little bit because I went out with you as your sound guy. That's what it was. Jordan was still tour managing, so we did uh, a bunch of runs. One of the first ones being Mexico down at that Jaime's club at Acuna. Acuna, <laughs> dude, and I jumped in a van. It would have been Yens. Robert Kearns, we picked up at South by Southwest, and Robert was on one of those drunk benders and still intoxicated. I remember. And he passed out in that front lounge, and you had all those coats in the back and clothes. And you, <laughs> this is the, my first time, you know, with you guys in a van. Y'all dumped all of the clothes, a stack like that, on top of Robert, <laughs> and he passed out drunk, rolled the windows up, and got a bunch of green cigars and just started firing them out. <laughs> We you turned the heater boxing. on. Yes, heater on, full blast. And it was spring. It was in the oh, springtime. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, we're blowing smoke on Robert. I remember he got soapy. It's real funny, man. <laughs> <laughs> but but then let's progress on down how we got across the border because Yin somehow was driving, and we get through the uh, U.S. side going into the Mexico side, and they pull up to the things in the in the Mexico side, like you know, blah blah blah, the toll. Yen just turns and goes, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and drives right through with dudes like machine guns. You don't remember that? I do remember oh. that. So that night, how we, they were looking for him. Like it was legit looking for him. And they had to smuggle him in a cab on the way back to get across the border. And then we Smuggled drove the van. That, among us a few other I'm things. I'm sure it was. I watched. <laughs> that was the sound guy. That was the one. I once stole a Mercedes out of a. Or remember that dude? Oh, the guy. Yes, man. Packed it out of my truck. Out of a, yeah. Bruce, what's his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sound guy. Oh, Bruce, oh, those talking guys. about uh, smuggling Porsches back. Dude, I think Bruce and Blaine were definitely in the import export business together. Oh yeah, for a while. That was fun. Those days in the Canyon were fun. Dude, remember the show that this was years later. Or a Joey. couple years later, no, the show that you you walked out in the street and got all those Mex Mexican wrestling mask, and y'all came back and did like the last half half of the show. And those, I still have those, by the way. Oh, that's awesome! I have all of them. They're up in a bag. I saw them in this quarantine clean out, as you one does. I found them. I was like, ah, oh, dude, what a great memory! Yeah. <laughs> I remember one time we opened, we played a show. But Masterson was in that by that time. Yeah, Yins had Yins had gone, and we had done one with Joe Ely and. Joe grabbed us after the after the gig and walked us t way down into Acuna, like not mm -hmm. just where the tourists go, but we went and found mm -hmm. some dump of a bar and sat there and while I watched Joe Ely be Joe Ely. Oh boy, like king shit! It was fun, man. Yeah, I, don't, I think that was before guitar, my years. Uh, what was his name? Oh, that guitar player he was with forever. 
It escapes me right now. Okay, so you start working so, for me in like 2000. So, was that yeah. And yeah, so Jordan, electric? so during that time, um, I had turned down an offer because I had met Miranda out on the road with you because we were, she was 19 probably at the time. And I was, we were smuggling her into shows to right. come see you. That's right. And I befriended some of them. And I, th- I want to say that Rick, her dad, or Bev, one of them that asked, is like, well, Miranda's going to need somebody out on the road, do you think? And I, you know, she was just fresh off that whatever reality show. show. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'd said, well, man, hey, this girl named Miranda, you know, Miranda, she's looking for somebody. And then he obviously went to work for her. And then they called and, and took uh, Yens. I didn't remember that. I didn't know that. He was. He went out. He yeah. went up there when it, they were first putting the, the band together. Okay. And he went up there and yensed himself out of a job, <laughs> <laughs> trying to tell them, uh, trying to act like they didn't know shit. What? Dude, here's how you do it. And a seven the foot tall German. <laughs> no, thank you. He quickly you. came back knocking on my door. Hey, I got my job yeah. back. And we did that for a little bit. We did the whole Yens and Masterson thing for just a few shows. Yeah, it was and then for a little that was bit. A train wreck. And then. Well, Yens had been in the band for a while, and he yeah. he always was worried about. He, he never really understood the method to my madness <laughs> about you know being as loose as we can, which will somehow make it tight. Um, yeah, and, there, it had the breathe, and and honestly, you'll admit to this: you have Pete Cotney to thank you for that. Yeah, of and course. Pete and Pete Cotney has to thank Charlie Watts because of that. Of course. You know, the, the breathing. And I, that was really the first time that I had learned of that because that, you know, I was a music fan, but I didn't know anything about it. And that's really when I kind of then progressed from just audio of what's, you know, what's kick drum supposed to sound like, what's a guitar supposed to sound like into like really music theory and kind of music methods and other styles. And you've, you always had that swagger and a lot of, and Miranda will admit to this because we've had, when I worked for her for two, you know, for two years, um, we've talked about that. It's just that swagger. And, you know, you learned it from a lot of places. Oh yeah. One of you, you, you've learned a persona mentality and a show a little bit from your friend Todd Schneider. Of course. And I think the other side of it was um, this buckus rebellion of being more anti, you know. Yeah, I, I used to think of it as a like a football game or a fight. Yeah. I thought of shows like, you know, anything to get your adrenaline up. Yeah. Especially when you're coming up because it's like when you walk on stage and you're an opener or, or nobody really knows you that well yet, you have to create all the energy yourself and you got to throw it out hard. For sure. First. And so you got kind of got to walk on stage and hit them first. For sure. And see if they hit you back. And you used to tell the story, and that's the first time I heard it, the old James Brown Rolling Stones thing. You remember that story? If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like, subscribe, share on social media, and give us a big old five-star review. Where they were both really big at the time, and then they had to, somebody had to go tell Mr. Mr. Brown that he's going to open for the Rolling Stones. And he's like, the who? And so he's like, all right. And walked down and just burnt the fucking stage down. Walks off, looks at Mick Jagger, and goes, beat that motherfucker. That's right. And that swagger. That's, that's just that's, it. That's, yeah, that's, it's, it's an energy that you can't. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, and so that said, and that's where I, it's like, oh, it was a cool thing to be a part of. And 
Um, not so that's a lot right about when you, that's when you took over. Yeah. And I got two jobs with for one pay. Three, buddy. Me? <laughs> Actually, four. I became your truck driver, bus driver. Come on. Yeah. Production manager, tour manager. Well, there I was, paid you really well for one job. Bitch. <laughs> what? <laughs> really? You want to go there? Come on. <laughs> I didn't know any better. So, hey, whatever. Did I'm did still I'm here. So, I guess it was enough. So, thank you, Mr. Ingram. Yeah, man. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm sorry. Thank you, Mr. Ingram. I remember knowing, uh, knowing what your future was going to look like. When we got out on those big tours, yeah, Brooks and Dunn and Paisley sure. and all that, because you knowing what you knew about sound production mm-hmm. from building it from scratch with Blue Light, sure, and going to school. But man, it was always your ability. To, I used, like even when I was pissed off or whatever with you, mm-hmm. it was just like man, the way you could handle it backstage was mm-hmm. and a meet and greet, sure, and how you handled people other people mm. and other people other peers just thought and how you knew the hierarchy of you know you knew who i was as a person mm. but you you also had an innate ability to, to know who that there's this other thing that goes on when you step outside the bus correct and how i wanted to manage that for my own self Run your business and that's one reason you hired me and there's been a lot of artists even you know jason mr aldean will even tell you this it's like you know you hire good people that are going to do f- what the dirty things you don't want to have to do for you. But in the same thing, you just give them some trust and some room, but you and I always had a relationship that led me into a lot of my other professional relationships of, okay, I, the separation of when do we need to be pro here and need to keep things in protocol and do it as respect or when can we be, you know, jacking around? Yeah. Right. So, you know, we, there was never any kind of, uh, blurred line when it came to that. That's a very hard line, and, it, and it's still to the That's day. That's what I mean. It's a natural thing day, for you. A very thing for me, and I always keep it. I know when to keep it pro. I also knew, man, when you got around all that equipment. Oh yeah, and all the Just buses absorbing. and the gear, yeah. and, the, and I still do it today. And it, it's, I'm a very visual learner, but I'm also one of those knowledge freaks that I, I constantly have to be learning something and just absorbing, but. Um, just so I can get my hands on it. And a lot of that I got exposed to and I didn't know it was up, you know. I learned things that you don't do very quickly, like the the proverbial, what we refer to as the three-finger loadout. And um, just to demonstrate what a three-fingered loadout is, there's my cocktail, let's just say that. That is a three-finger loadout. So don't be don't be that guy that's out there, you know, with a cocktail in his hand, slashing yeah. around three fingers, like pushing a case. Right. And once I was like, oh, shit, okay, cool. And so, you know, I was, I never, and I still to this day, am, if, if it's on the clock, trailers aren't locked, not nothing. Oh, yeah, I remember. Not a drink. I remember. And... I don't know. It's uh, that always stemmed from me. And a, a lot of those bigger tours kind of exposed that to me. Now, you know, trailers locked and Katie bar the door, but we, we professionally became that kind of binge drinker from like, okay, bus is leaving at 2 a.m. 
power drink for 30 minutes, then go to sleep and wake up the next day and do it again. But yeah, those were some great, uh, great those, years. Those were fun tours. Yeah, man. dude. Uh, one of my favorite ones was um, Madison, Wisconsin. We were doing a festival and it pulled in early morning and parked kind of off in the off parking lot, waiting on the headliners buses to come and park. Right. Mm-hmm. As protocol is. Well, we'd woke up and all these other buses were pulling in and you'd noticed all of these buses were wrapped with like sponsors, like movie gallery and, you know, Phil Vassar sponsored by blah, blah, blah. And I can't remember who it was that had an Exxon thing. So dude, Ingram's up at this time. It's like, Oh shit. So you, we gaff taped an eight by 10 photo on the side and then gaff taped Waterburger on the yeah. side of the bus. <laughs> right. and, and then you're like, I'm driving, I'm going to drive the rest of the, you know, it was a hundred <laughs> yards. If that, so the bus driver let you do it. And here we go. And we parked it in honking the horn and typical right next fashion. But Phil again, Vassar brought you by Pepsi. Exactly. And, and so, and again, that's that swagger, but that's like the Brooks and Dunn camp. Loved you still to this day. Like when I see Baja or one of those guys, man, I'll blow us. And an, another one that's, uh, those are great years, man. Those are fun years. Uh, uh, Gary Allen's camp. Oh, yeah. Same way. But anybody that you toured with, they always saw that. Uh, John McBride, prime example. Oh, yeah. I, I get to see him a lot, you know, in Nashville. Um, at shows and award shows and stuff like that. And he's like, man, I love that, man. I was, those are the great years. Martina and I talk about that all the time. That was fun. Oh, man. dude. Remember, remember on Sundays, <laughs> him gambling? Oh. <clears throat> I mean, on he Sundays? Had it, he had it down. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> on Sundays? What are you talking about? Come on. I just mean during football season. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah. Speaking <laughs> of after the, after the buses were loaded and locked and we're rolling down the road, you used to have the craziest – I would always be afraid to wake you up because <laughs> you would, oh, you'd come out swinging, almost night man. terrors. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 it's odd because since like I have learned to live on a tour bus without having those. There's there was a couple of times you know I've been with uh, was with Jason Aldean for the last five years, and there was a couple of incidents like on my bus where the stage manager was like, dude, but. Um, I learned it was triggered by a few things, and I have since figured that. And one of them was eating right. at a certain hour and spicy, whatever. So fast forward, let's get back on to those stories. Do you one of my favorite was the potato <laughs> the avalanche. Potato the avalanche. potato avalanche. You come flying Dude. out of your bunk at four so in the morning. in my dream sequence, because I was driver's side, front, middle. So like there's a wall to my left. And you were right across from me on the passenger side in the middle. And in my dream sequence, this wall had opened up and this avalanche of potatoes was coming all (laughs) showering down. And I rolled out and right into your curtain in your bunk, (laughs) screaming and kicking. Yeah, man. Some good ones. And remember Uh, remember that one? Oh, yeah. So Masterson, who is blind. When it's convenient. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh buddy so i woke up and it's like hey 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 what are you doing here he thought somebody was on the bus had snuck on the bus because we were parked somewhere and he hi hi you know <laughs> just freaking out all the all get out but the one who figured out was robert kearns had figured out how to kind of get me back in bed always in those days he'd come up hey buddy hey buddy and shake my curtain hey buddy hey buddy and kind of wake me up and then i'd go back to bed so how did you get how did you go from after 
We split ways in so 2007. So split ways. Or eight? Yes. No, 2010. Yeah. Uh, oh, let's, wow. say, let's say 2000. I can't. So we were out for- About six years. Wow. So um, it would have been probably 09, I think. Was that right? Okay, then it was, let's just say 2010 for sake of saying. Yeah. So I did that and I jumped out with, I want to say, I think I might have gone out with Miranda after that. Possibly. For about two years, though, that was later on. I did a Bodine's run. That was things. I did a world tour with Ben Queller. Um, I did a stint with the Reckless Kelly Boys, a little coast to coast thing that he and Mickey and the Motor Cars did. Uh, we did that. And then I did uh, Need to Breathe. I did two tours, about a year with those guys, two tours with those guys. Um, and were you just putting feelers out in between? No, back man. And this and all is, those, all dude, the guys this, you knew? It was, I've been very fortunate in my career to never have had a resume. It was always through word of mouth. And yeah. even that's, even, you know, the Aldine gig. I mean, it was literally, I got a, I got a phone call. It wasn't me shopping around and putting in applications and it was just kind of word of mouth. And, and that was another thing that I, and you can testify to this is you only have one thing in this business and that's, you know, your, your record, if you will, you not only have to be super, super pro at your job and squeaky clean and, you know, everybody makes mistakes. And this is one of my mantras that I preach to all of my tours. And it's like, we're all going to make mistakes but we get paid not to fuck up. Yeah. And what that is, is like, okay, make a mistake, learn from it. A fuck up is when I know better, I've made that mistake and look what I did. I yeah. mean, fucking Pivoto, come on. <laughs> hey, buddy. This thing on, this thing on. So, oh shit, I forgot to press record. Sorry, Pivoto. So you've been with, you've been with uh, Aldine for how Five long? years. Five years. Yeah, yeah. And um, did you start out as head of production or what did yeah, I mean that was my gig. You walked right in there. Yeah, that was. I mean, I was the production manager. That was my title. So you walked into when he started. He was doing dude big, big stadiums, big stadiums. Yeah, absolutely. Baseball fields, absolutely. And, yeah, like you know, we up to fifteen trucks, and you know, like the lowest was maybe eleven. You know, fifteen tour bus. Yeah, massive. What was your learning curve on that deal, man? And the reality is, it's the same thing. Um, you know, I had done tours, obviously, like Need to Breathe was a, you know, three truck tour and, you know, multiple things at any given level, even down it, it the old, it starts in a van and ends in a van kind of mentality of like, it's, it's not that the problems and issues go away. It's just multiplied. Mm -hmm. Now it's not multiplied to a sense of more pressure it's just because you have departments to push it down the push down the protocols right mm -hmm. someone else is like hey man if if something comes up to me and i know about it it's an issue it's an issue right right but if you know if i have to step in then let's do it and i always did it in a fairly common demeanor and like here we go and that's just part of that leadership what's else from starting in a van yeah learning how to but, get shit you know done. the days you know in the aldine runs it's i mean it's you could imagine but i also had you know in charge of ticketing scales for these stadiums you know months in advance like 
eight to nine months, I'm sitting there looking at seating charts and looking at the tour designs and doing all of those and doing all of that stuff. So it's a, so you're, you're, you're managing the the ramps and the, every every single department. Yeah. Every single department. I oversee all the truck drivers, all the bus drivers, all of the, all the logistics that it does to move that entire operation. How's Al Dean to work with? Dude. So Jace, as, as a professional in the touring side of things, he understands that he doesn't know all, all all that stuff and he puts a lot of trust but he also he's a as a man he's a fantastic man mm-hmm. i mean really one of the, hands down one of the the greatest guys i've ever been around and he gets <coughs> he gets a different oh come on Ingram. <laughs> <laughs> you <laughs> oh. so jason's one of those guys that you don't hit him up with a bunch of options, a bunch of questions, a bunch of things. It's like, okay, it's like, here, you want this, you want that. You want it this way, that way. And if he tells you, I don't like it. Okay, cool. Let me figure something else out. It's so he doesn't want to, not that he can't do it, but he entrusts the people yeah. that he's hired to do. It's like, okay, I'm going to step back. I'm not going to micromanage you. Figure it out. Come back. And if I don't like it, I'll tell you again. So he that in, in that mentality, which is really kind of cool because there's a lot of art, other artists at that level that aren't that way. Yeah. They want to be completely involved in over things and they're constantly changing their mind of that. And that's I've had, again, the luxury of working with a lot of those artists through the years of um, very dynamic personality traits. But he's great with that in that sense and super loyal to all of his guys takes care of his guys Mm -hmm. and what's really cool um is let's say like we're out somewhere if jason's flying home for the weekend or something that after that run every single one of the band of the bus or every single one of the crew members everybody's going home no kidding so and not only that but, but let's say like we're up in new york and you know we've got 13 tour buses and 15 trucks and stuff like that if his bus is going home all of the buses are going home so when did y'all go to Vegas? Um, October 1st, 2017. And he's on stage and you're, you got nine chiefs that you're having to deal with. Mm-hmm. And like uh, Jake Owen was the, the act before him. And we're in about six songs. And the seventh, um, when she said baby, is when it started. So, yeah. And you're up on stage. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm literally behind the the blow through screen mm-hmm. and there's a uh, a deck that you know where you can kind of run gear when nobody sees it out of sight and then you know behind that is the trucks lined up so i'm i'm walking behind that and um i keep an earpiece in once you know the calm to things we all run to one channel um is it you got like y'all are all on one channel all the crew all at that time we go to a show channel and that's all the communication. It's super quiet because if something comes across that channel, something's up. Right? right. And, you know, every department obviously, you know, has their own respective channel. And if there's an issue internally, then they will roll over to that said channel, deal with it and go back. But yeah, during the show, it's show channel. All right. So, um, you know, the first three pops, pop, pop, pop kind of came across and, it was like, oh, that's weird. And then another series of pops. You heard it. Oh, yeah. Another series of pops. 
and somebody, there was some chatter came across. Stage manager comes to me and says, hey, man, are there some fireworks that we don't, you know, going on that we don't know about? And I'm negative, negative. And then one of the other guys chimes in. And I'm at this point, I'm kind of unpinning to hear, like, what's going on? You know? And one of the guys, like, no, it's just fireworks, just fireworks. And then that's when a third burst and it came across the stage. And I heard it. It's hitting. Oh, yeah. It came across the stage. The third round came across the front of the stage. Like, like hit, I could hear it coming through. It went kind of that stage left behind the video wall. So I could hear it hitting the truss and going pop, pop, pop. And that's by the second burst, Jason knew something was up because he was kind of turning, looking, and his security guy was over there. And the security guy had kind of stepped up behind where his position was. And then that third round, when it started, thanks, I hit the hit the code to fucking dump it. Then it was kind of a, a barrage. It's like, okay. Then that was when that chatter is like, okay. Then by the second round, it's like I knew something was up. And what that would have been the on third burst. In your head. Um like when you, you when I heard it, when I heard it hitting well, it needs to be said the entire time. We had no idea where it was coming from. We just knew it was that way. Mm-hmm. Did it, you know by sound or did you know by? Oh, well, yeah, sure. It's yeah. that way. Yeah. And we had no idea it was from an elevated, but I didn't know it was from an elevated position until 20 minutes later in the mass chaos. And I'll, I'll tell you the story and this will make a lot more sense. You know what? Um, let's take a little quick, little break real quick. All right. Cause it's worth, you need to hear the, the story and it'll make a lot more sense and you'll understand why I can't discuss a few things. Well, you don't have to discuss whatever you don't want to. No, man. no, no. You need to hear the story just to kind of get the mentality. So I don't want to be vague here and I don't want to, I don't want to dodge any of these questions because it's important to put it out there, but there's also, um, the heaviness of this, not on me, mm-hmm. not on everything else. It's like, I, there were so many tragic tragedies that happened that night, you yeah. know, 58 people died that night. And two have since died. I think one died in 2019 and another one in 2020. So that's 60. And 890 wounded. 890, buddy. So. How many of them did you personally know that got wounded, buddy? Weren't there people in the crews? And Man, look, I was the only one shot in my crew. And I got hit in the back. Um. For the most part, backstage there wasn't there wasn't really anyone that you know close close. Not that that makes it any better. No, of course not. Um, Where did you get hit? In the back, right there. I'll, I'll let you feel it. It's still in there. It's a fragment. It's working its way out. It'll get there. Yeah, like all of it. <laughs> Yeah, that'll just get more back fat, and it'll just keep keep running back in <laughs> sport, there. Sport yeah, eating, exactly. So, but um, it's 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 a lot. 
So yeah, like yeah. I said, have you gone to therapy for it? Yeah, and we'll get to that too. So I don't know, you know, hit pause or something just for a little bit. And it's not that I need and need to get in any kind of space with it. It's just I think. For you need to be informed to where you know where to kind of lead the questions because I can very easily talk about this with you. Yeah. And I can very easily keep going into these things, but it will fulfill a lot of like, ah, now I get it. Let's go take a bio break. This interview's over, sir.
test one, two, test one, two, test one, two.